You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he sells propane and propane accessories. It's Mr. Jeff McLaughlin. Yes, uh, taste the meat, not the heat, as they say <laughs> on that show. How you doing, man? I'm good. I didn't achieve my goal yesterday. Oh? It was a great way to start out uh, my week. Well, wait a minute. Well, let's, let's, let's unpack that, yeah. yeah. Let's unpack that. What goal is it that you did not achieve? Okay, so... I have been a cyclist for exercise and... Generalized mental health and enjoyment, right? Yes. Yeah. She's oh, forever. Mm-hmm. You know, since, uh, since 19... Probably 1991, 92, somewhere around there. Right. I had heard about something in the 90s called a century, which is... Traditionally, it's a race. Right. You know, it's 100 miles, 100 miles in one day. Right. Now, I have no interest in racing anybody. I don't like competition. I don't like competitive sports. I don't like any of that. Right, right. But the idea, the concept of doing 100 miles in a day is like my white whale. It's something I've always talked about doing, something I am still, even t- today, uh, convinced that I want to do and I could be able to do. Right. Um, yesterday, I set out to do it. Right. And I didn't. Um, I didn't even beat my previous long distance record. My previous distance record for riding my bike all in one shot was 63 miles, almost 64. Okay. And yesterday I came in just under 58 miles, and I'm fine with it. Okay, well, 58 yeah. nothing to sneeze at. Exactly. It's like it's not even. I mean, it's just about halfway. You know, a little right. bit more than halfway to 100. I'm not down. I'm not mad at myself. I don't feel like a failure. I could very well be just somebody that is not capable of riding 100 miles in one day. Right. Not everybody can run a marathon. It's true. And I'm fine with that. When I was running, when I had first overcome, you know, my heart surgery back in 2008, I started to do run training. Yep. Once I was done with cardiac rehab training, which is like very limited exercise for a few months until you, your heart is kind of back up to normal strength. Yes. I never got fast. I never got faster than a 12-minute mile, which is slow as shit. It's five miles an hour. So, okay. But I ran a lot. I never got faster than that, but I could run for a little bit longer every now and then. But never right. all that long because, again, I have a compromised heart. So it's blood pumps different. Not as well. And I I ended up sort of taking it, the sort of zen approach to running is like, well, I may come in last. And I did run a 10K and came in dead last. Mm -hmm. They turned off the clock as I ran over the finish line before I even saw my time. (laughs) But I still beat everybody who didn't sign up for that race. Right. That was my motivator. 
And if it was a short race that I had run in the past, it was like I was it was like Speed Racer where I was running against the ghost of the time that I made last time I was there. The only person I was ever in competition with was me. I went out there. I went out. I rode at the Cape Cod Canal. I got out there at like quarter of six in the morning. It was super foggy. You couldn't see anything. You know, you couldn't see across the canal. You couldn't see the bridges as you went underneath them. Right. And it was fine because that was something I was going to be worried about was once the sun came up, if it was going to be beating down on me, you know. Right. But the other offshot was to being that foggy was I had to like look over my glasses. I couldn't look through them because they just because I don't have windshield wipers on my glasses. Right. So <laughs> yeah, it does make it yeah. hard. It's hard to ride along when you can't see. Right. So whenever I started my fourth lap, mm-hmm. which would put me at three and a half laps, would put me at the halfway point. Right. Whenever I started my fourth lap, I mean, I wasn't even a mile into it, and I was like, "This is going to be the last one." I knew it was going to be the last one, and mm-hmm. then when I was approaching the end, I was thinking about turning around going three and a half miles out and three and a half miles back just so I could beat my previous distance record. Right. But it was just wasn't there. I was like, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm fine. You know, my motto when it comes to exercise, most recently applied to the, the gym that I go to or started going back to, is some days you beat the gym and some days the gym beats you. And there's nothing wrong with having a day where the gym beats you. So mm-hmm. while you, as you got to the end of your ride, even if you didn't expect it to be the end of your ride, you still mm-hmm. rode 58 miles. Yep. Right? You still rode 58 miles. That's 58 miles more than I rode, than everybody mm-hmm. else who doesn't have a bicycle rode. You know? So level set your expectations, I guess. And the next time you go, if you go 58 and a half, then you've done better. If that's important to you, you know? Yeah. And I was stoned on my own endorphins for the rest of the day and most of today. So... Good mood, Bill. Yeah, I don't I don't even know what that's like because some of the medicine I take from my heart means that I don't respond to adrenaline or endorphins. So when I was oh. running, it was always just one foot after the other and continuous grit to keep going. Well, uh, I know something else that you don't respond well to. The very <laughs> popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Oh, man. All right. Hey, what's up, man? What's going on, Bill? So, what do you got for me? All right. So we have Tony the Tiger, we have Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble, and we also have that weird Martian on Quisp, and there's Captain Crunch, and there's all sorts of mascots on all sorts of cereal boxes. I work with a guy now, who sort of looks like and sounds like Count Chocula. Hey, very good. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't believe I forgot all the monster cereals. Anyway... <laughs> um, on the cover, on the box of cornflakes, is a rather hilariously low-detailed version of a rooster. Oh, that's that rooster right. has a name. Oh, Did you geez. know that? I... The rooster on cornflakes has a name. What is the rooster on the box of cornflakes called, Jeff? Uh, the rooster on the box of cornflakes? Man, I always buy store-brand cornflakes, so I don't know. We'll have to talk about that at the end oh. of the show. I don't buy these fancy uh, Kellogg's cornflakes. Right. Oh, my goodness. Those are like $7 a box. I get the ones that come with the misspelled corn, like a <laughs> K-O-R-N flakes. All right. But this is going to be the week beginning, September the 4th. And I shake my magic eight ball and ask, is it Jeff's turn to start? Sources point to yes. So, uh, yes, it is your turn to start. Go. September 4th, 1639. 
Massachusetts, the oldest state in the Union, bans drinking toasts. Now, again, 1639. This is only 19 years after the first Europeans have come to settle in Massachusetts. And they're already banning (laughs) drinking toasts. This is the same group of people that if they didn't collect enough firewood and clams at the shoreline, were going to starve to death or freeze to death. And this was (laughs) a concern of them, was that people were spending too much time drinking and toasting each other's health or... I don't know what else you could toast uh, at that time. You know, Massachusetts in 2023 is known as one of the brightest blue liberal states in the union. But God damn, they were really, really not that way, way back when. Yeah, they definitely uh, started their progression towards being the most liberal state in the union by being the least liberal state in the union. (laughs) So much so that Roger Williams, who basically founded Rhode Island because he's like, that's it, I'm out of here. You guys are nuts. And went off and started his own state. Well, that was all the Puritans and stuff like that. I remember reading at one point that they had banned Christmas Yeah. at one time. Yes. Yeah. Must have been tough for those kids. What do you mean Santa's not coming? <laughs> there is no Santa. Go f- yep. dig clams. Now, I have it here that the law was actually repealed just like four years later because it was basically impossible to enforce. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, imagine the poor guy that's tasked with that. I can see that the like the governor of Massachusetts is reading that proclamation out, and the guy's yeah. face is like emotionless, and he just thinks like, God, there's no way this is ever going to work. All right, right I'll, you know what? I'll make a clipboard and I'll walk around and as soon as people see me coming, they're not going to toast anything, so we're never going to collect any money from this. And that's probably what happened. Because, I mean, how long does it take to do a toast, Bill? I don't know. I don't drink. But, I mean, I know the standard toasts are like, you know, slajavar and salute and stuff like that. Yeah. So, 0.5 seconds? They definitely don't take a long time, unless for some reason... Here's the swimming with bow-legged women! Right. Unless for some reason they're doing some weird long speeches before everybody finally just drinks out of frustration. But I don't know that that's the case. Uh, are you guys toasting in here? No, we're making English muffins. All right, fine. And then off they go. <laughs> there goes officer complainer. <laughs> Welcome to Massachusetts. <laughs> the get the, him, the state that still doesn't have a happy hour. I'll put that out there. Oh, right, yeah. That, that law got passed. I think it was... I would, I remember when it passed, where the, they banned happy hour. Now, outside of Massachusetts, they there's like, what is it, five to six? It, it, de- it depends on the place. Like, I, the okay. first time I encountered that was when I was here in New Hampshire, and I worked at a place, and we all went to, for beer after work, and I was like, what the hell is a happy hour? Like, half-price <laughs> drinks? Sign me up, you know? Yep. Why don't we have those in mass? Because it's, it's illegal to be happy. For an hour. There will be no fun to be had in this state. Damn it. So I think it balances out, though. So here's the balance between New Hampshire and Massachusetts when it comes to that. So in Mass, there's no happy hour, but all the package stores where you buy beer and wine and alcohol are open until whenever the package store owner wants to close it or 1 a.m., whichever comes first. Yep. Here in New Hampshire, to buy alcohol minus beer and wine, if you want to buy hard alcohol or good wine, you have to buy it from the state liquor store, which closes at 7 promptly so you have to yeah you have to like if you're gonna have be a problem drinker you you better be an early bird <laughs> all right moving on to september the 5th september the 5th 1985 the dire straits music video for money for nothing 
receives the Music Video of the Year, the Video Music Awards on MTV, which was a thing, I guess, at that yeah, time. Yep. It was. I remember watching those, and and it was for me as a as but a youngin. Those were like the Grammys for me. Those were like the Oscars yes. for me because I spent innumerable hours in the early 1980s just glued in front of the TV. We used to have it on like it was the radio. So yeah. seeing that video especially was astoundingly good for the time. You watch it now and it's like, this is so quaint. It, it's right. not even as sophisticated as what a four-year-old can do in, in Roblox. But <laughs> yeah. but it's still great and it shows like the potential that this technology would have if it was employed well. And it ultimately did sort of open the door for computer-generated imagery and pop culture. So the music video for Money for Nothing had very entry-level CGI Yes. I guess it was meant to be, you know, groundbreaking and mind-blowing and all that. It looks silly by today's standards, but I, it was, I guess it was more like a proof of concept. I think it was groundbreaking at the time. I thought it was like, this is amazing. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. 1985. I mean, right. we were still, you know, just coming out of ColecoVision graphics at that time. <laughs> so the song Money for Nothing, uh, if you hear the album version... Is a little problematic in parts. Uh, there's a couple of words in there that we have taken out of the vernacular because they're pretty offensive to large swaths of people. But the lyrics of the song, Dire Straits himself there, Mark Knopfler, he was in an appliance store. That's right. And the television sets were showing MTV. And the guy that worked there was like complaining that these rock stars are just like raking in money, getting money for nothing, right. so to speak. And... Mark Knopfler like basically wrote down what that guy was saying, complaining about rock stars verbatim, and yeah, those are the lyrics yeah. to the song. Yeah, I remember that story of of how that song came to be, and I always thought it was a, a a great a great origin story for a piece of art. That's a really really good album. That's on the Brothers in Arms album. Yes, I remember my brother buying me that album for my birthday. So he gave me that, and he gave me Sting's first solo album, The Dream of the Blue Turtles. Oh, okay. Sting was the voice of the tall, skinny CGI guy in the video and provided that. Oh, yeah. That uh, I want using the, the I, I want my MTV tagline as part of the song, which mm-hmm. for me was like the first weird, like almost comic booky crossover between two bands. I don't know why I thought they didn't ever do that, <laughs> but it was like they've joined forces, Mark Knopfler and Sting in a song and it's i don't know what i expected to happen but i always thought that was really cool and it also advertised mtv because the song was kind of about mtv and it captured the culture of mtv it was really 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 timely yeah it it's 1985 in a you know three and a half minute song for sure mm-hmm. all right let's move on to the sixth september 6 1969 Sid and marty croft tv producers who specialize in kids tv that's on saturday mornings released the show hr puff and stuff which is a weird, weird ah! program. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a weird show. Where in it, a kid named Jimmy falls through a magic hat and ends up on an island populated by guys in weird costumes and a bunch of... It looks like set rejects from Laugh-In for flowers and trees, and they're tormented by a witch named Witchy Boo who is chasing after the magic flute that Jim owns or has. He lands on this island that is occupied by... The subject of my nightmares for my entire life. Sid and Marty Croft, <laughs> they produced a lot of Saturday morning television stuff. Yes. Like yes, they a did. lot. Like if it wasn't a cartoon, it was probably Sid and Marty Croft. Yep. I um, agree with you completely. 
Yes. Well, you don't have to agree. It's facts. <laughs> you don't have to agree with facts. True. So, but like some of their stuff, like this one, HR Puffin stuff, uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. And what was the other one you said before? The Bugaloos? The Bugaloos. Yeah, Lidsville. All that shit, dude. I was terrified of it. I couldn't watch it. I was scared of it. Oh. I would literally leave the room. And I think my brother actually didn't like the shows either, but he knew if he watched them, I would leave the room. Mm -hmm. And I think that was his strategy. And it worked out great. Uh, they did other stuff, too, that I did like, like Land of the Lost. Yeah, that was a great program. I believe they did like it was like Superbug was another yep. one. Uh, Wonderbug. Yeah, Wonderbug. Wonderbug. Uh, Electro Woman and Dyna Girl. Girl. Yeah, Doctor Shrinker. <laughs> yeah. They like ran through Saturday mornings for the uh, the Croft Super Show. That was what All I remember. Right. That was where Doctor yep. Shrinker was and Electro Woman and Dyna Girl and and Wonderbug. That was a weird show too. It was like three mini episodes of insane strangeness. Well, I think what happened, Jeff, was. Like, they were putting out product, like Kiss was putting out albums in the early 70s, just like one after another yeah. after another. And then there was a lot of speculation that there was a lot of drugs going on. Yeah. And if you look at it, it's hard to argue. Yep. Uh, in fact, the name HR Puffin Stuff, the HR allegedly stands for hand rolled. And then you don't have to guess what Puffin Stuff stands for. <laughs> so I think you know, ABC or whatever network they were w working for, like, all right, we got another idea. Electro Woman and Diana Girl. But hear me out. Wonderbug. And then a shrink rain. They're like, look, look, we're just going to put it all in one show. You guys need to calm the F down. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know who the audience for this show was because the humor in it was not kid humor. It wasn't adult humor either. It was like this weird in between, like middle school, I guess, is kind of where this one falls. Because it was yeah. just, it was like too weird for little kids and too weird for not little kids but there's that that like that period where you're between like i don't know nine and 14 where it where it seems to make a, a lot of sense visually and not for me because i was too you. busy cowering in the closet in my room because these terrifying foam rubber nightmares are over there walking around i've gone back dozens of times now and watched pieces of the H.R. Puffin stuff movie. There was a film version of it that came out oh, in like God. 1972 or something. And in it, it has... Oh, figures right after the Hayes Code goes away. <laughs> um, and in it, there's a musical number by Mama Cass, which is really awesome that you should go look up. Not on your life. Well, that's for the audience no, out there. You should you should all no, go thanks. out there. It's called Zap the World. You can find it on, uh, on YouTube. I like sleeping at night. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. September the 7th, 1987, Pink Floyd releases their first album without Roger Waters as a member of the band. Yes. An album called A Momentary Lapse of Reason, an album that I have listened to side one of extensively. And side two, <laughs> I don't even remember the name of the songs. I remember Learning to Fly, and I remember The Dogs of War. And because they had MTV videos. Yes. And I bought the tape at the time because tapes were the thing back in the old yep. days when tapes were the thing uh i bought the tape because you know how often do pink floyd albums come out and the answer was well none of them came out after like 1980 or something and right and, and more, it's more or less i mean um pink floyd the wall came out in 79 yeah 
And then, you know, quote unquote, the Pink Floyd album, The Final Cut, which is basically a Roger Waters solo album with guest stars David Gilmour and Nick Mason. <laughs> you can hear him firing the band as the record goes on. Yeah. Uh, that came out in like, I want to say 82, 83, 84, somewhere, yeah, yeah. somewhere in there. 83 just for round numbers. It was a big deal when the Roger Waters free version of Pink Floyd put the record out because they were going to tour and they did a humongous tour. Where yeah, if you can tour for Final Cut, right? Right, and if you consider like Roger Waters also toured when his solo record, The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, came out, and he was playing like five hundred seat theaters, whereas I saw Pink Floyd at Foxborough Stadium. Right, Roger Waters toured for Radio Chaos, which is the album, the solo album that came out right around the same time. It also okay. came out in '87. Yep, and he was playing the same uh, venues that Pink Floyd initially started right but to put pink floyd's momentary lapse of reason commercially up against roger waters radio chaos there's no comparison oh it destroyed roger waters it's it certainly did and as a young man i thought the roger waters stuff was way better as an adult i think both of them are lesser albums for both Roger Waters and for Pink Floyd. As I just said about the final cut being a Roger Waters solo album, Momentary Lapse of Reason is basically a David Gilmore solo album. Yes. There are some great songs on there, and they're all on side one. (laughs) Well, well, much like the last song, the song that closes the album, Sorrow, is really good too. Much like you comparing this, I compare this one to Radio Chaos every now and then. And my thoughts are like, wow, Momentary Lapse of Reason is really soft. It's really, it's like, David Gilmore's guitar solos, it's like understandable, it's soft, it's low tempo. Yep. It's complicated, but it's it's deceptively so. It's safe. It's a safe album. Yeah. And Radio Chaos is what what the hell is this album even about again? I have to read the liner notes every time I listen to it. Like, oh that's right, there's a kid and the radio he's talking to the radio station. Oh, it's and con- war. It is contrived. It's, it's a really <laughs> contrived story. What the yeah. Hell, what the hell it's is like, Roger, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's basically War Games with Matthew Broderick, the only thing with a you know a pop single called Sunset Strip. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I remember I discovered Pink Floyd somewhere in between, somewhere around 86, so right before this album came out, maybe like a year, and I got like obsessed. I was really, really into it. Right. And tickets were going on sale. And at that point in time, the whole wristband thing, remember that? The wristband thing. For you kids there, before there was internet and buying tickets online and stuff like that, mm-hmm. years and years and years ago, you used to go to whatever ticket venue there was and a couple of days before the tickets went on sale and you would pick up a wristband and that wristband would secure your place in line. Before that, you would camp out right. at the ticket venue, you know, either at the venue itself or the local ticket master. Now... Pink Floyd Momentary Lapse of Reason tour was the first time your friend Bill had ever heard about the whole wristband thing. So I camped out. I got there at like one o'clock in the morning. There was nobody in the parking lot and nobody's in line and all that. And I'm over there sleeping in my car. I'm like 17 years old, probably freaking my mother out, but whatever. She knows I like music. I'm just sitting there waiting and then the sun comes up and I see people like getting in line. So I go over there and I get in line and then all of a sudden, all these other people start showing up with wristbands. I'm like, what? Hey, what? What's this? What's this? And people <laughs> with wristbands were allowed to go first. And I didn't get anywhere near buying tickets. I bought my tickets from somebody who had a wristband. 
You son of a bitch. Yeah. Well, but you saw the Foxborough show, right? I did, yeah. I saw the Foxborough yeah, this, show. And, um, this was for the first leg of the tour where there was at the Providence Civic Center. Yeah. I saw I saw the Foxborough show, and that was my first experience with a really big concert. Yep. And I was preoccupied by, like, how far the band was could have walked off stage at the end and I still would have heard music for like 40 seconds. That's how <laughs> far away from the band I was. And it sort of diminished the experience for me because I was, if I felt like I was so disconnected from the show. Yeah, I was really far away. Yeah, I don't like stadium shows for that reason. Right. It's like, ugh, I'll take my uh, my small venue shows. Yeah. Thank how you many very people much. fit in here? 500? Dom, I'm there. Yeah. How many people fit in here? 50,000? <laughs> you couldn't get me there if you paid me. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the kind of shows that I like going to. There's more people in the bathrooms at the stadium show than there are at the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. September the 8th, what do you got? September the 8th, we have a celebrity birthday. In 1925, an English comedian and actor named Peter Sellers is born. Probably best known. <laughs> Probably best known for the Pink Panther films from the 1970s, directed by Blake Edwards, and his portrayal of the French mangling detective inspector Jacques Clouseau, one of the more recognizable character actors or characters from the 1960s and 1970s, if you watch comedy films. But he did a ton of other stuff. He was on TV on a, and the radio on a program in England called The Goon Show. I think most people are probably going to remember him as in Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Because that's, that's such like a staple like picture, yes. a, a staple movie. I remember, I think you were in my class in high school where they actually had us watch that as part of our mm -hmm. English literature class. Yeah, and he plays multiple characters in that film. He's also played multiple yeah. characters in a bunch of his movies, but yeah, probably is it's certainly his best work. He won an Academy Award for the movie Being There in the late 1970s, which was very yeah. good. We played like the super innocent childlike gardener. I know him best as the Inspector Clouseau. Yeah, I remember my father being a big fan of the Pink Panther movies and... I'm just old enough to have seen one of the Pink Panther movies in the theater okay. with uh, with Peter Sellers. Mm -hmm. not, not, not the one that his son did. It was yeah, another one. The one uh, I never saw him in the cinema. That was always an event movie. Yeah. When it was on television, like my dad would, you know, make grilled cheese sandwiches and popcorn and... And that would right. be like the, that would be the you know NBC Friday night the movies we would watch the Pink Panther Strikes Again or something and it was always that's the one that I saw in the theater yeah very 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 funny all right moving on to September the 9th, eighteen ninety a man by the name of John Boyd Dunlop receives a patent for his pneumatic rubber tire or as we call them now. Tires. <laughs> I'm sure the first comment from somebody riding in a car with Dunlop tires on it was, this car is really bouncy and I don't feel like my spine is going to snap. What is your secret, John Dunlop? <laughs> like I was saying, as we call them tires, the pneumatic tire, as the name implies, is a tire that is filled with air, you know, pressurized air. Mm -hmm. Before that, bicycle tires had iron bands on wooden wheels and then followed later that by solid rubber tires, which I imagine would just like knock all the fillings right out of your teeth. Oh, I bet, yeah. It if you ran over brutal. anything bumpier than glass, right. It must, yeah, it must have been brutal. I wonder if he was making tires for the big giant penny farthing bikes or if it was for safety bicycles, which is what regular bicycles that we have today uh, used to be called at the time. Uh, well, the picture I have of him right now, he's riding a quote-unquote safety bicycle. Yeah, okay. 
Yep, the uh, the standard, like the one that I rode yesterday for fifty seven point <laughs> four miles. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's great. Which I'm just imagining that if I did that on like those hard rubber tires, because I've had experience riding. I, I found an antique unicycle mm-hmm. at a at a flea market one time, and it didn't have a pneumatic tire. It had the hard, hard rubber, rubber solid thing, and I can't imagine what riding a bicycle with those things would be like. I, I just imagine just like my taint looking like a <laughs> glass of iced tea or something. Just this like big bruise, right? Right. Uh, you're like nick- blood for a month yeah. and a half. Your nickname is Purple Ass because everything is black and blue. <laughs> Top of your thighs back. God love you, John Boyd Dunlop and your pressurized tires. All right, let's wrap up the week. All right. September 10th, we have another celebrity birthday, technically, although it's not someone that I know very well. 1801, Marie Laveau. The voodoo queen of New Orleans is born. 1801 is way back. That's a long time ago uh, for someone to be so famous that they get an entry in our show in 2023. Right. Uh, she was really well regarded and I guess powerful, uh, depending on how you, you view your voodoo. Yep. And her grave became an area of pilgrimage for people who wanted their wishes fulfilled by her ghost. Yeah, so the uh, the tradition... If you wanted Miss Laveau to, uh, you know, grant your wish, you would go over to the tomb and you would write an X on it and then turn around three times and then knock on the tomb and yell out your wish. And then if your wish got granted, you were supposed to go back and circle your X so to show that your wish came true. Hmm. Uh, and then leave her a present or something like that. I wonder how many uh, people wish to get arrested, like immediately after <laughs> yelling her name and yeah. their wish. Yeah, well, they don't have to wish too hard because that part of the cemetery is now kind of like gated off, so to speak. You can't get there without a guide, mm-hmm. you know, so you can't just wander up and draw your exes. I've seen a picture of it. An ex-girlfriend of mine visited with, with a guide and showed me a picture. And it's just a, a just a mass of just people with drawing exes all over it huh. and stuff. Well, it's interesting, at least. I If I'm ever there, I'll, maybe I'll find a guide to, to take me to... Uh to the grave. I yep. bet it would be interesting to see in person. And it's a quite a good song by Volbeat. <laughs> for whatever. I will spool it up. All right, Jeff, for our weird holiday this week on September the 5th, we are going to celebrate Cheese Pizza Day. Cheese Pizza and, Day. Yep, and as our listener Steve likes to tell me all the time, he really likes pizza. <laughs> so I like pizza fine. I, I know we've had many a discussion about making pizza yeah. during the pandemic and stuff like that. So cheese pizza. So no toppings, I guess, unless there's another way of making pizza that well, I don't know. I, okay, so cheese pizza is a great description, but it's very broad. So you can change the flavor profile of pizza by changing the type of cheeses that you use on the top. So that, It's still a cheese pizza, Jeff. There's a lot of variability in what that cheese pizza will taste like, though. Again, yeah. it's still called, it's like a car. I call a car a car, but there's like millions of different models and makes and other things. You can change the flavor of a pizza by virtue of the cheese that you use to make it. And the sauce. And the sauce, yes. But, yep. I mean, you can use the same uh, sauce on 10 pizzas and change the flavor profile by changing the ratio of cheeses on top of that same sauce. All right. So, red sauces notwithstanding, uh, are you a fan of other sauces, pieces, like... Like a white sauce pizza or anything else like that? That's it. You're out of the band. No. I don't even recognize those as pizzas. Oh, that's, wow. That's bread. That's bread with crap on top. <laughs> it's a half I a sandwich. 
open-faced chicken sandwich. I had something one time that was called a ham, uh, a cheeseburger pizza, and instead of using red sauce, they used ketchup and mustard. Yeah, I have had one of those as well. Yeah, it was interesting. It was like eating a hamburger, but like I was like, that's kind of cool. But at the same time, I didn't want a hamburger. I wanted a pizza. My problem with that when I had it was it was so tangy from the ketchup and mustard that yeah. it was it was like overpowering, and I couldn't. I couldn't get around the tang that the ketchup and mustard had, so I couldn't finish it. I like the idea. <laughs> I'd probably do it if it if I used less uh, homemade ketchup, maybe, or something, and a lot less mustard. But, yeah, I had a real hard time with the tang of the condiments used as the, the sauce. Yeah, mustard's a very strong, uh, very strong flavor. It, sta- it stands out, right? It does. So the other thing there, it became such an internet meme, Jeff. How are you about pineapple on pizza? I like pineapple on pizza, depending on what it's paired with. Um, or, you know, if I'm feeling like something sweet. Yeah, pineapple and ham. Uh, Hawaiian pizza, that's fine. Hawaiian pizza, I like pineapple and hot peppers. I like pineapple and anchovies. I like pineapple and olives. I like all those stuff. Oh, God. You just said the dirtiest word in the pizza business. I know anchovies. you don't like anchovies. I love anchovy no, pizza. I, not only do I not like anchovies, they are parallel to... The worst song Ever. Okay, Jeff. Uh, this week's I'm gonna say I'm gonna say your word now. Ready? Okay. <clears throat> this week's worst song ever takes us back to the Halcyon days of <laughs> 1993. Ah, uh, yes, when the MTV generation was turning into the adult contemporary generation, and all of our music yeah. was aging with us. We're talking about a song by Phil Collins called "Both Sides of the Story." Yep. Which I'm going to begrudgingly play the clip for you right now. Okay. Okay, the lyrics to this song are terrible. And the <laughs> lyrics to this song are the best part of this song. Yep, I can't argue with you. Before we even get into the rip down of how preachy this song is and how it is preachy in 1993 standards, I just want to talk as somebody who enjoys music and has actually played it horribly for a different section of his life. Mm-hmm. This song is terrible there's no there's no riff it's just chords it's a two two and then two four chord and then it repeats but there's like no riff it's just it's like you can it's just open chords yeah it sounds like actually pair it up with the very boring drum beat and this comes from phil collins who's a drummer in somebody's (laughs) Yeah, he's a drummer. And not as only is he a drummer, he usually ends up in everybody's top ten list as best drummers. Yeah. He's an excellent drummer. And the drum beat in this song sounds like a Casio CZ1000 mm-hmm. programmed beat. Yeah, This it's, song, it's musically, is boring. It is indeed very boring. And also, lyrically, the song is structured and tells four short, incomplete stories. One is a, a drunk guy in the alley. One is there's kids whose parents are fighting. There's one where a guy's got a gun 
on another guy. And then, let's, do you remember what the last one is? I can't even remember what the last, oh, the last one is. That's how boring the, the song is. The, the, la the last one is the one with the gun. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a, the one in the, that you missed out, number, story number three, is it doesn't really say it out loud. Like, it says it very quietly. But what it's talking about was the gang wars that were very popular. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Seen, that's right. The, the, uh, the kids. In the early 90s. The what? The, yeah, the ones with the in the video. It's the kids who are spray paint the wall, and he has the line about yeah, the line in there about the little coffins lined up outside the whatever the place is. Yeah, what he's referring to in the song though is like the Crips and the Bloods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't say it out loud, but that's what he's referring to. Yes, and this is when adult contemporary musicians had to make like message music to maintain, you know, airplay. I guess. Uh, uh huh. And. Uh, you know, the message of this is like, there's two sides. You never know exactly what somebody's going through. <clears throat> Everlast. Um, but, <laughs> but but in this song, like every stupid song like this, even though the chorus is about, you know, you got to know both sides of the story, Phil only gives you one side. You don't know why <laughs> the guy's a drunk in the alley. You don't know why what? the parents are getting divorced, other than the mother says she doesn't love her husband anymore. You don't know why the kids are having fights, and you don't know why the guy's got a gun on the other guy except he wants respect. But there's no like, there's no backstory to any of this stuff, so they're just random events. Everlast. The, this is like verse number four. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the creature, the thing with two heads. Yeah, yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. This movie needed a I motorcycle was... chase that lasts 45 minutes, Bill. To make yeah, it well, that's not what I'm talking about here. I was just <laughs> hanging out with my friend and his daughter. His daughter is about 14 going on 30, yeah. you know? She is so bright and smart and a pleasure to talk to. And I was telling her and Greg, uh, I was telling them both about the thing with two heads. And I was explaining to her about, and she gets it too. It's like, it's not something that she just like shrugs off and then goes back to looking at her phone. She, she yeah, pays yeah. attention. She gets it. I was telling her about, you know, race relations in this country have always been interesting at best. And even when their heart is in the right place, a lot of times they pull it off poorly. The thing with two heads, for an example. Right. And the same goes with this. This is 1993. You know, the line says, white man turns a corner, finds himself within a different world. Ghetto kid, code, Ghetto kid grabs his shoulder, throws him up against the wall and says, would you respect me if I didn't have this gun? Because without it, I don't get it. That's why I carry one. What? I just you? want you to imagine <laughs> this scene playing out in real time. Like, who gets mugged and then, like, you either give me your wallet or I'm going to unload a five-minute exposition of my no, it's, And it does, he doesn't even, it's like, and the lyrics don't even give him the opportunity, like, uh, to mug him. He just says he's yeah. mugging him for respect, which doesn't make any sense at all. He's mugging him for exposition. <laughs> it's, it's like he's getting, like, attacked by somebody from, with their own, with their own podcast. Right. Like, right. hold on, I have to tell you my truth. <laughs> This type of song comes around like every generation, right? So yeah. we've, I've, I've sort of jokingly been bringing up Everlast, which was like the late 1990s with the song yep. What It's Like, which we've done on this show, which is the yeah. same sort of song as this. And previous to that, it was uh, Alanis Morissette 
misusing ironic and having like scenes in a song that don't do anything that's useful but it's the same oh, she must have been having a field day with this song right. isn't it ironic? i don't know which one came out first i think this one came out first it probably but did. like you were saying you need to hear both sides of the story every verse you only hear one, one side, side of the, the story. story yeah and a lot of morris that was like would you get off my ass already <laughs> yes. all right it's not ironic <laughs> <laughs> it's coincidence, but there's too many syllables in that word. <laughs> so it's definitely not a great song. What it reminds me of, and it's it again, it reminds me of another song because there's a bunch of artists that fall into this group with Phil Collins at this time that were making yep. similar sounding music, and it was for an I don't know that the audience really existed, but that's I don't have a time machine to go back and pull myself when I was you know 20. But it reminds me of a song called "Hiding Out" from Pete Townsend's I'm saying mature record his mature record uh, with air quotes, White City, which is, uh, it's it's like the third song on the record. It doesn't change in tempo. It has no crescendo. The lyrics are kind of bland, but not terrible. And it just fills space on the record. Now, when we, we started to talk about this Phil Collins song, I said, this is clearly a piece of filler music. And you said, it's not. Oh, it's not. You would think that this is a filler track, but it's not. It was the first single. It's actually the first track on the album that's named both sides. It's named for this song. And I listened to at least clips. I listened to the first four songs. Right. And then I was driving, and I didn't want to fall asleep behind the wheel. So, because that's dangerous. Right. So, whenever I got home, I listened to, like, the first, like, 15 seconds, 30 seconds of the remaining songs on the album. This album never gets going. Every song has the kind of Casio CZ1000 beats to them, which is depressing because, like I said, Phil Collins is an amazing drummer. I guess Phil Collins, by this point in time, had figured out what side of the bread gets buttered because Mm -hmm. there is no Susudio track on this. There is no Mist Again on this. There is no up-tempo song on this album. This is probably the most up-tempo song you're going to find. I agree with you completely. You don't have to agree with facts, John. (laughs) (laughs) This song is also hellaciously long for what it is. It's six minutes and 41 seconds or 42 seconds, which is a long time to spend with Phil Collins in any song, but especially long in this one. Especially where the chorus is one line. Yeah. The chorus is one sentence. We always need to hear both sides of the story. The story. The story. We all, you know. So, like, if you drag yourself back through the history of Phil Collins as a solo artist and in the beginning, the period of Genesis where they transition to being a pop band, I like Phil Collins. I've always thought he had a distinctive voice. I love his drumming. I like his song structure 90% of the time. Late Phil Collins. And he's super cool. Less so. And he's he seems, super cool if yeah. you ever see him in interviews and stuff. But, like, there's this song, and then previous to this, he did Another Lonely Night, which is another sort of message song. Yep. And then he did, what was the, the Genesis song with the puppets? Land of Confusion, another message song. Yeah. And then... Yeah, but at least that song is well, like upbeat I, and I, fun. Yeah, that, beat is, that song is upbeat and fun, but it's another piece of message music. So he's dropping these on like a lot of his records. And even if you go back to the, like the, the, the caveman version of this song cycle, it would be like yeah. Lonely Man on the Corner on the Abacab record. Right. Which yes. is a great song. It's one that of the ones one cool. of my favorite ones. And as he goes along from nineteen eighty to ninety three when this song came out, he just it's like he loses his interest in it and he's like, I gotta do another message song, man. Ugh. 
All right. Uh, did, we, did, uh, did we do homeless people already? We did homeless people. We got to do drunk guys. Yeah, another day in paradise. Oh, we already did God, that right. one. You know, now I, I understand why Patrick Bateman wanted to murder people to this song. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we wrap up the show, I do have the very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Uh, nobody here by that name. Whenever you get that little extra bonus in your paycheck in a couple of weeks, and uh, <laughs> you can have a little, little splurgy money, write, and yeah. you go out and buy that I can buy, highfalutin Kellogg's. I can buy name brand cornflakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a rooster on the cover of cornflakes. That is the mascot, and he actually has a name. Yeah, that's which, right. Yeah, I was kind of confused me that there was a rooster, which has nothing to do with corn. Well, okay, so but anyway, no, knowing that this is uh, from the Kellogg's Corporation, and knowing yes. why this cereal exists is to mm-hmm. prevent to prevent you from playing with yourself, I'm gonna guess that that True rooster. Story. I'm gonna guess that that rooster's name is Mr. Floppycock. <laughs> I should give you the point for just you know being what? I'll, amazing, I'll, I'll take the point for that, just so you know. Amazingly creative. Amazingly creative. Um, it's my middle name. No, unfortunately, that is not the right answer. Um, true story, though. Uh, cornflakes are to keep you from uh, from masturbating. <laughs> uh, true story. Also true story. That doesn't work. <laughs> so, um, no. Uh, apparently, the people over at Kellogg's had a an affinity for alliterations, because much like Tony the Tiger, Cornelius. Well, no, that's not an alliteration at all. Never mind. Not unless it was um, cock. <laughs> no. So uh, Kellogg's had uh, chose to name their their rooster instead of Mister Floppy Cock. They did name him Cornelius. Oh, for corn flakes. Lovely. So next time you're going through the shopping market, kids, you can flex your trivia muscles and say, "I know that rooster's name." Miss the floppy cock and just leave it there. <laughs> That's right. And you can say, Mom, if you buy me this cereal, I promise I probably won't masturbate to internet porn. Probably. <laughs> maybe. Promise. Big promise. But if you get me cookie all crisp, right. I'm going to be all over the family computer. All, all bets are off. Yep. <laughs> if you buy me cookie crisp, you're going to want to change your browser history <laughs> once a day. All right. That's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme song. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. You can find us or message us over at Facebook or Instagram using TWWBLY. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, if everybody who listens to this show gets one more person to listen, we'll double our listenership. <laughs>